creative imagination. It's not something reserved for poets, the philosophers, the inventors. It enters into our every act, for imagination sets the goal pictures, which our automatic mechanism works on. We act or fail to act, not because of will, as so commonly believed, but because of imagination. A human being always acts and feels and performs in accordance with that what he imagines to be true about himself and his environment. This is the basic fundamental law of mind. It is the way we are built. When we see this law of mind graphically and dramatically demonstrated in a hypnotized subject, we are prone to think that there's something occult or supernatural at work. Actually, what we're witnessing is a normal operating process of the human brain and nervous system. For example, if a good hypnotic subject is told that he is at the North Pole, he will not only shiver and appear to be cold, but his body will react just as if he were cold and goose pimples will develop. The same phenomena has been demonstrated on wide awake college students by asking them to imagine that one hand is immersed in ice water Thermometer readings show the temperature does drop in the treated hand. Tell a hypnotized subject that your finger is, red hot, is a red hot poker, and he will not only grimace with pain at your touch, but the cardiovascular and lymphatic system will re react just as if your finger were a red hot poker and produce inflammations and perhaps a blister on the skin. When college students wide awake have been told to imagine that the spot on their forehead was hot, temperature readings have shown an actual increase in the skin temperature. Your nervous system cannot tell the difference between an imagined experience and a real experience. In either case, it reacts automatically to information which you give it from your forebrain. Your nervous system reacts appropriately to what you think or imagine to be true. The secret of hypnotic power Dr. Theodor Zenofen Barber has conducted extensive research into the phenomena of hypnosis, both when he was associated with the psychology department of American University in Washington, DC, and also after becoming associated with the Laboratory of Social Relations at Harvard. Writing in a Science Digest, he said, we found that hypnotic subjects are able to do surprising things only when they are convinced that the hypnotic's words are true statements. When the hypnotic has guided the subject to point where he is convinced that the hypnosist's words are true statements, then the subject then believes, behaves differently because uh, he thinks and believes differently. The phenomena of hypnosis has always seemed mysterious because it has always been difficult to understand how belief can bring about such unusual behavior. It always seemed as if there must be something more, some unfathomable force or power at work. However, the plain truth is that when the subject is convinced that he is deaf, he behaves as if he is deaf. When he, when he is convinced that he is insensitive to pain, he can undergo surgery without anesthesia. The mysterious force or power does not exist. Could you be hypnotized? Science Digest, January of 1958. A little reflection will show why 
it is still a very good thing for us that we do feel and act accordingly to what we believe or imagine is to be true. Truth determines actions and behavior. The human brain and nervous system are engineered to react automatically and appropriately to the problems and challenges in the environment. For example, a man does not need to stop and think that self-survival requires that he run if he meets a grizzly bear on a trail. He does not need to decide to become afraid. The fear response is both automatic and appropriate. First, it makes him want to flee. The fear then triggers bodily mechanisms, which soup up his muscles so he can run faster than he's ever ran before. His heartbeat is quickened, adrenaline, the powerful muscle stimulant, is poured into the bloodstream, and bodily functions, not necessarily to running, are shut down. The stomach stops working, and all available blood is sent to the muscles. Breathing is so much faster, and the oxygen supply to the muscles is increased manifold. All of this, of course, is nothing new. Most of us have learned it in high school. What we have not been so quick to realize, however, is that the brain and nervous system, which reacts automatically to environment, is the same brain and nervous system which tells us what the environment is. The reactions of the man meeting the bear are commonly thought of as due to emotion rather than ideas. Yet, it was an idea, information received from the outside world and evaluated by the forebrain, which sparked the so-called emotional reactions. Thus, it was basically ideal or belief, which was, which was the true causative agent rather than emotion, which came as a result. In short, the man on the trail reacted to what he thought or believed or imagined the environment to be. The message brought to us from the environment consists of nervous nerve impulses from the various sense organs. These nerve impulses are decoded, interpreted, and evaluated in the brain and made known to us in the form of ideas and mental images. In the final analysis, it is these mental images that we react to. You act and feel not accordingly according to what things are really like, but according to the image your mind holds of what they are like. You have certain mental images of yourself, your world, and the people around you, and you behave as though these images were the truth, the reality rather than the things they represent. Let us suppose, for example, that the man on the trail had not met a real bear, but a movie actress actor dressed in a bear costume. If he thought and imagined the actor to be a bear, his emotional and nervous system would have been exactly the same. Or let us suppose that he met a large shaggy dog, which his fear-ridden imagination mistook as a bear. Again, he would react automatically to what he believed to be true according to true concerning himself and his environment. It follows that if our ideas and mental images concerning ourselves are distorted and or unrealistic, then our reaction to our environment will likewise be inappropriate. So why not imagine yourself to be successful, realizing that our actions, feelings, and behaviors are the result of our own imagined and beliefs gives us the lever that psychology has always needed for changing 
personality. It opens a new psychological door, psychological door to gaining skill, success, and happiness. Mental pictures offer us an opportunity to practice new traits and attitudes, which otherwise we could not do. This is possible because, again, your nervous system cannot tell the difference between actual experience and one that is vividly imagined. If we picture ourselves performing in a certain manner, it is nearly the same as the actual performance. Mental practice helps to make perfect. In a controlled experiment, psychologist R.A. Vendel proved the mental practice in throwing darts at a target, wherein the person sits for a period each day in front of a target and imagines throwing darts at it, improves aim as much as actually throwing darts. <clears throat> Research Quarterly reports an experiment on the effects of mental practice on improving skills in sinking basketball free throws. One group of students actually practiced throwing balls every day for 20 days and were scored on the first and the last day. A second group was, was scored on the first and last day and engaged in no sort of practice in between. A third group scored on the first day and they spent 20 minutes a day imagining that they were throwing the ball at the goal. When they missed, they would imagine that they corrected their aim accordingly. The first group actually practiced 20 minutes a day, improved their scoring by 24%. The second group, which had no sort of practice, showed no improvement. And the third group, which practiced in their imaginations, improving their score 23%. So how imagination practice won a chess championship? The April 1955 issue of Reader's Digest contained an article from um, the Rotarian by Joseph Philip called chess. They call it a game. In this article, Philip tells how the great chess champions was no, no, was so superior to all its com competition that it was believed by experts that he would never be beaten in a match play. Yet he lost the championship to a rather obscure player who had given no hint that he had even posed a serious threat to the great to the great champion. The chess world was stunned by the upset, which today would be comparable to a Golden Gloves finalist defeating the heavyweight champion in the world. Phillips tells us that the guy that won had trained for that match very much like a boxer conditioning himself for a fight. He retired to the country, cut out smoking and drinking, and did all and did Kathleen Hicks for three months. He played chess only in his mind, building up steam for the moment when he would meet the champion. Mental pictures can help you sell more goods. In this book, How to Make $25,000 a Year Selling, Charles Roth tells how a group of salesmen in Detroit who tried a new idea increased their sales 100%. Another group in New York increased their sales by 150%. And individual salesmen using the same idea have increased their sales up to 400%. And what is this magic in it that accomplishes so much for salesmen? It is something called role-playing. And you should know about it because if you will let it, it may help you to double your sales. What, a ro what is role-playing? Well, 
and is simply imagining yourself in various sales situations and then solving them in your mind until you know what to say and what to do whenever the situation comes up in real life. It is called on the football field skull practice. The reason why it accomplishes so much is that selling is simply a matter of situations. One is created every time you talk to a customer. He says something or asks a question or raises an objection. If you always know how to counter what he says or answer his questions or handle the objection, you make the sale. A role-playing salesman at night when he's alone will create these situations. He'll imagine the prospect throwing the widest kinds of curves at him. Then he will work out the best answer. And then, no matter what the situation is, you can prepare for it beforehand by means of imagining yourself and your prospect face-to-face -face while he is raising the objection and creating problems and you are handling them properly. You can use mental pictures to get a better job. The late William Martinson, well-known psychologist, recommended what he called rehearsal practice to men and women who came to him for help in his job advancement. If you have an important interview coming up, such as making an application for a job, his advice was plan for the interview in advance. Go over in your mind all the various questions that are likely to be asked. Think about the answers you are going to give, then rehearse the interview in your mind. Even if none of the questions you have rehearsed come up, the rehearsal practice will still work wonders. It gives you confidence. And even though real life has no set lines to be recited, like new stage play, rehearsal practice will help you to ad lib and react spontaneously to whatever situation you find yourself in because you have practiced reacting spontaneously. Don't be a ham actor, Dr. Martin would say, explaining that we are always acting out some role in life. Why not select the role, the right role, the role of a successful person or reshape it? Writing in your life magazine, Dr. Martin said, frequently, the next step in your career cannot be taken without first gaining some experience in the work that you'll be called upon to perform. Bluff may open the door to a job you know nothing about, but in nine cases out of ten, it won't keep you from being fired when your inexperience becomes evident. There's only one way I know to protect, to project practical knowledge beyond your present occupation, and that is rehearsal planning. A concert pianist practices in his head. Art Chanbel, the world-famous concert pianist, took lessons for only seven years. He hated practice and seldom practices for any length of time at the actual piano keyboard. When questioned about his small amount of practice, as compared with other concert pianists, he said, I practice in my head. C.G. Kopp of Holland, recognized authority on teaching piano, recommends that all pianists practice in their head. A new composition, he says, should be first gone over in the mind. It should be memorized and played in the mind before it, the fingers, before even touching fingers to the keyboard. Imagine nation practice can lower your golf score. Time magazine reported that when Ben Hogan is playing in a tournament, he mentally rehearses each slot shot just before making it. 
he makes the shot perfectly in his imagination, feels the club head strike the ball just as it should, feels himself performing the perfect follow through, and then steps up to the ball and, and depends upon what he calls muscle memory to carry out the shot just as he imagined it. Alex Morrison, perhaps one of the most well-known golf teachers in the world, has actually worked out a system of mental practice. It enables you to improve your golf score by sitting in an easy chair and practicing mentally what he calls the seven Morrison key. The mental side of golf represents 90% of the game, he said, and physical side is 8%, and the mechanical side is 2%. In his book, Better Golf Without Practice. Morrison tells how he taught Luller to break 90 for the first time with no actual practice whatsoever. Morrison had Luller sit in an easy chair in his living room and relax while he demonstrated for him the correct swing and gave a brief lecture on the Morrison key. Luller was instructed to engage in no actual practice on the links, but instead spent five minutes each day relaxing in his easy chair, visualizing himself attending the, to the key correctly. Morrison goes on to tell how several days later, with no physical preparation whatsoever, Lair joined his regular foursome and amazed them by shooting nine holes in an even par, 36. The core of the Morrison system is you must have a clear mental picture of the correct thing before you can do, the, do it successfully. Morrison, by the end of the method, enabled Paul Whitman and many other celebrities to chop as much as 10 to 12 strokes off their scores. Johnny Bula, the well-known professional golfer, wrote an article several years ago in which he said that having a clear mental image of just where you want the ball to go and what you wanted it to do was more important than form. In golf, most of the pros, said Bula, have one or more serious flaws in their form, yet they managed to shoot good golf. It was Bulla's theory that if you would picture the end result, see the golf ball going where you wanted it to go, and have the confidence to know that it was going to do what you wanted, your subconscious would take over and direct your muscles correctly. If your grip was wrong and your stance was not in, in the best form, your subconscious would still take care of that by directing your muscles to do whatever was necessary to compensate for the error in form. The real secret of mental picturing. <clears throat> Real secret, successful men and women have since the beginning of time used mental pictures and rehearsal practice to achieve success. Napoleon, for example, practiced soldiering in his imagination for many years before he even went to the actual battlefield. Webb and Morgan in their book, Making the Most of Your Life, tell us that the notes Napoleon made from his readings during these years of study field filled with when printed 400 pages he imagined himself as a commander and drew maps of the island of Corsica, showing where he would place various defenses, making all of his calculations in mathematical precision. Conrad Hilton imagined himself operating a hotel long before he ever bought one. When the boy went a boy, he used to play that he was a hotel operator. Henry Kaiser said that each of his business accomplishments were realized in his imagination before it appeared in actuality. 
It is no wonder that the art of mental picturing has the past sometimes been associated with magic. Has in the past sometimes been associated with magic. However, the new science of cybernetics gives us an insight into why mental picturing produces such amazing results and shows that these results are not due to magic, but the natural, normal functioning of our minds and brains. Cybernetics regards to the human brain, nervous system, and muscular system as a highly complex cerebral mechanism, automatic goal-seeking machine which steers its way to the target or goal by the use of feedback data and stored information, automatically correcting course when necessary. As stated earlier, the new concept does not mean that you are the machine, but that you are your physical brain and body functions as a machine which you operate. This automatic creative mechanism within you can operate in only one way. It must have a target shoot at to shoot at. As Alex Morrison says, you must first clearly see the thing in your mind before you can do it. When you do see a thing clearly in your mind, your creative success mechanism within you takes over and does the job much better than you could do it by conscious effort or willpower. Instead of trying hard by conscious effort to do the thing by iron-jawed willpower and all all the willy and all the while worrying and, and picturing to yourself all the things that are likely to go wrong, you simply relax the strain, stop trying to do it by strain and effort. Picture yourself the target you really want to hit and it's to the target you want to hit and let your creative mechanism take over. Thus, mental picturing the desired end result literally forces you to use positive thinking. You are relieved thereafter from effort and work, but your efforts are used to carry you forward towards your goal rather than in futile mental conflict, which results when you want and try to do one thing, but picture to yourself to do something else. So finding your best self. <clears throat> this same creative mechanism within you uh, can help you achieve your best possible self if you will form the picture in your imagination of the self you want to be and see yourself in a new role. This is a necessary condition personality transformation regardless of the method of therapy used somehow before a person can change he must see himself in a new role edward mcgoldrick uses the t this technique in teaching alcoholics cross the bridge from the old self to the new self each day he has his students close their eyes relax their body as much as possible and create a mental motion picture of themselves as they would like to be in this mental motion picture they see themselves as sober responsible persons they see themselves actually enjoying life without liquor this is not only a technique used by mick goldrick but it is one of the basic methods used at bridge house which has a higher record of cure for alcoholics than any other organization in the country. I myself have witnessed veritable miracles in personality transformation when an individual changes the self-image. However, today we are only beginning to glimpse the potential creative powers, which stems from the human imagination and particularly our images concerning themselves. Consider the implications, for example, in the following new 
news release, which appeared a couple of years ago under an associated press dateline. Just imagine you're sane. San Francisco, some mental patients can, can improve their, their lot and perhaps shorten their stay in the hospitals just by imagining they are normal. Two psychologists and veteran administrations at Los Angeles reported Dr. Haley Grayson and Dr. Leonard B. Olinger told the American Psychologist Association they tried the idea for on 45 hospitalized and neuropsychiatrists. The patient, psychiatrics, the patient first, patients were first given the usual personality test. Then they were asked flatly to take the test a second time and answer the questions as they would if they were a typical, well-adjusted person on the outside. Through a four, four, three-fourths of them turned in improved test performances and some of the changes for the better were dramatic and psychologists reported in order for these patients to answer the questions as a typical well-adjusted person would answer they had to imagine how a typical well-adjusted person would act they had to imagine themselves in a role of a well-adjusted person and this in itself was enough to cause them to begin acting like and feeling like a well-adjusted person we can now see why the late Dr. Albert was called a mental picture was was called your mental picture of yourself, the strongest force within sight within you. So know the truth about yourself. The aim of self-image psychology is not to create a fictitious self, which is all-powerful, arrogant, egotistic, all-important. Such an image is inappropriate and unrealistic as the inferior image of self. Our aim is to find the real self and to bring our mental images of ourselves more in line with the objects as they represent. However, it is common knowledge among psychologists that most of us underrate ourselves, shortchange ourselves, and sell ourselves short. Actually, there's no such thing as superiority complex. People who seem to have one are actually suffering from feelings of inferiority. Their superior self is a fiction, a cover-up, to hide from themselves and others their deep-down feelings of inferiority or insecurity. How can you know the truth about yourself? How can you make true evaluation? It seems to me that there, that here, psychology, whoa, whoa, whoa. Psychology must turn to religion. Oh boy. The scriptures tell us that God created man a little lower than the angels and gave him dominion and God, that God created man uh, in his own image. If we really believe in an all-wise, all-powerful, all-loving creator, then we are in a position to draw some logical conclusions about that which he has created man. In the first place, such an all-wise and all-powerful creator would not turn out inferior products any more than a master painter would paint inferior canvases. Such a creator would not deliberately engineer his product to fail any more than a manufacturer would deliberately build failure into an automobile. The fundamentalists tell us that a man's chief purpose and reason for living is to glorify God and 
the humanist tells us that the man's per primary purpose is to express himself fully. However, if we take the premise that God is a loving creator and has some interest in his creation that an earthly father has in his child, then it seems to me that the fundamentalists and the humanists are saying the same thing. What brings more glory, pride, and satisfaction to a father than seeing his offspring do well, succeed, and express to their full abilities and talents? Have you ever sat by the father of a football star during a game? Jesus expressed the same thought when he told us not to hide our, our light under the bushel, but to let our light shine so that your father may be glorified. I cannot believe that it brings any glory to God when his children go around with their hangdog expressions, being miserable, afraid to lift up their heads and be somebody. And doctor, as Dr. Leslie Weatherhead has said, if we have in our minds a picture of ourselves as fear-haunted and defeated nobodies, we must get rid of that picture at once and hold up our heads. That is a false picture and a false must go. God sees us as men and women in whom and through whom he can do great work. He sees us already serene, confident, and cheerful. He sees us not as pathetic victims of life, but masters of the art of living, not wanting sympathy, but imparting help to others, and therefore thinking less and less of ourselves in full, not of self-concern but of love and laughter and the desire to serve let us look at the real selves which are in the making the moment that we believe in their existence we must recognize the possibility of change and believe in ourself when we now are in the process of becoming that old sense of unworthiness and failure must go it is false and we are not to believe in what is false so here's a practice exercise for everyone. Um, hold a picture of yourself long and steady, steadily enough in your mind's eye that you'll be drawn towards it. Picture yourself vividly as defeated and that, that alone will make a victory impossible. Picture yourself vividly as winning and that alone will contribute immeasurably to success. Great living starts with pictures held in your imagination of what you would like to do or be. Your present self-image was built upon your own Im imagination's pictures of yourself in the past, which grew out of interpretations and, ev and evaluations which you placed upon experience. Now you are to use the same method to build an adequate self-image that you previously used to build an inadequate one. Set aside a period of 30 minutes each day where you can be alone and undisturbed. Relax, make yourself comfortable as possible. Now close your eyes and exercise your imagination. Many people find they get better results if they imagine themselves sitting before a large motion picture screen and imagining that they are seeing a motion picture of themselves. The important thing is to make these pictures as vivid and detailed as possible. You want your mental pictures to approximate actual experience as much as possible. The way to do this is to pay attention to small details. 
sights, sounds, objects in your imagined environment. One of my patients was first using this exercise to overcome his fear of dentists. She was unsuccessful until she began to notice small details in her imagined pictures. The smell of the antiseptic in the office, the feel of the leather on the, cha the chair of the arms, the sight of the dentist's well-manicured nails and his hands approached, as his hands approached her mouth, etc. Details of our imagined environment are all important to this in this exercise because for all practical purposes, you are creating a practice exercise. And if the imagination is vivid enough and detailed enough, your imagination practice is evaluated to an actual experience insofar as your nervous system is concerned. The next important thing to remember is that during this 30 minutes, you see yourself acting and reacting appropriately successfully. Ideally, it does not matter how you acted yesterday. You do not need to try to have faith you will act in this ideal way tomorrow. Your nervous system will take care of that in time. If you continue to practice, see yourself acting, feeling, being, and act as you want to be, do not say to yourself, I am going to act this way tomorrow. Just say to yourself, I am going to imagine myself acting this way now for, th for 30 minutes today. And imagine how you would feel if you were already in that sort of, sort of personality that you want to be. If you have been shy and timid, see yourself moving among people with ease and poise and feeling good because of it. If you have been fearful and anxious in certain situations, see yourself acting calmly and deliberately, acting with confidence and courage and feeling expansive and confident because you are. This example builds new memories or stored data into your midbrain and central nervous system. It builds new images of self. After practicing it for time, you will be surprised to find yourself acting differently, more or less automatically and spontaneously without trying. This is as it should be. You do not need to take thought or try to make any effort now or in order to feel ineffective and act inadequately. Your present in your present inadequate feelings and doing is automatic and spontaneous because of the memories real and imagined you have built into your automatic mechanism you will find it will work just as automatically upon positive thoughts and experiences as upon negative ones some experiences out of your past that is explained by these principles given in this chapter chapter like key points remember you know i would say i would take like do five different things um you know now would list things that you want want to want to change and things that you want to see and uh let me know how they're working for you thank you um this is the end of uh this segment of the podcast thank you for listening my name is jasper you are listening to where the sidewalk ends namaste